Thank you so much for tuning into the Chronic Illness Support Podcast. Today, our guest is Linda Esposito, who will be talking about her journey with bronchiectasis. Bronchiectasis News Today states that the number of adults with bronchiectasis in the United States is between 340,000 and 522,000, with 70,000 adults diagnosed every year. Thank you so much for joining me today, Linda. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Samantha. It's so great to talk to you and your listeners about my disease, bronchiectasis. I'll say the name again because if your listeners are like me, they're thinking bronchitis. No, it's a disease with a difficult name to pronounce, bronchiectasis. But thankfully, it has a nickname, B-E. But first, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm originally from Connecticut. I'm living in New York City now, um, but I'm not a true New Yorker. Um, I I will be turning 65 shortly and quite frankly can't wait uh, because um, being a senior citizen means that I'll be on Medicare and hopefully we'll have fewer health insurance hassles, but we'll, we'll see. As my mother used to say, the proof is in the pudding. Um, what else? I'm married and I have two daughters and four grandchildren. And they uh, live in Connecticut, so I, I do try to see them as often as possible. It's about an hour and a half's drive from the city, so it's uh, very doable. And uh, I do go regularly to visit. So um, about my condition and um, what my symptoms were, in I think it was 2016, uh, I had gone, my husband and I went on a trip to Prague, Vienna, and Budapest, and I developed a cold, no big deal. Um, It was unusual as I rarely got um, colds, but you know, I took it in stride. The only problem was that for weeks and weeks, I continued to cough. I mean, all day long, Samantha, it just didn't let up. I tried to deal with it as much as I could, and and I knew that a lingering cough is quite common, but after several months, I just, I was absolutely exhausted. I wasn't sleeping well, and I was at the point where I thought, oh gosh, enough is enough. So I did go to um, my internist and she felt that it could be due to acid reflux. Now, I really didn't have any heartburn or discomfort, but she explained to me that there was such a thing as silent acid reflux. I mean, who knew? Basically, you don't have to have any symptoms, but the acid is still making its way from your stomach up your esophagus and into your throat, and that irritation can cause a chronic cough. In fact, it's often the reason for a chronic cough. Well, the medication that she gave me really didn't make any difference, so we tried a few others in the following months. And I'm always the good student, so I did tons of research on silent acid reflux and I also made a bunch of lifestyle changes trying to prevent any supposed reflux that I might be having. Um, I limited the trigger foods 
that can cause reflux, such as tomato sauce and wine and vinegary foods and chocolate. <laughs> Basically all the foods I love. I also stopped eating three hours before bedtime and put the, um, the head of my bed on risers so I would be sleeping at a bit of an angle. Um, luckily, my husband was very cooperative with all that. But even with all those, with that change, um, the lifestyle changes, I still continued to cough. I'm so sorry to hear about what you've been through with bronchiectasis, and I'm so glad that you have the support of your husband. How long did you suffer with symptoms before you were diagnosed? So, Samantha, in answer to your question, it was about... I would say a full year before I decided enough is enough. Um, what happened was, as I said, I'd been coughing for the year. I thought it was acid reflux. I thought it was going to go away if I could just find the medication. Well, um, the following September, September 2017, my husband and I took a trip. That's what we usually do in September. Um, but this time we went to Italy and we rented a car and we drove down the eastern coast. And all I remember about that trip is just being in the car and coughing and coughing and feeling so badly for my husband that he had to sit there in such a confined space and listen to me cough. And I remember thinking, okay, this isn't working. And um, when I was got back to the States, the first one of the first things I did was schedule another appointment with my internist. And um, she too agreed that our approach uh, wasn't working. And so she sent me for a CAT scan of my lungs to see if there was anything um, notable going on. Uh, and I can't tell you, Samantha, how surprised I was when I got a call later that day when it, and she told me that they um, that there were findings that the scan showed damage to my lungs that and that's the first time I heard the word bronchiectasis. And I think I even said to her bronchitis. No, she said bronchiectasis. So um, she also said that the location of the damage in the damaged areas was consistent with a bacterial infection called Mycobacterium avium complex. It also has a nickname, MAC, M-A-C, MAC. So um, the first thing I thought was maybe I had picked up that bacteria the year before when in, when in um, Prague and Vienna and Budapest, um, but she explained that wasn't the case, that there was the possibility that I had had that uh, damage to my lungs and the cold just sort of exacerbated it and made, it, uh, aw made me aware of it, but that that damage to the lungs perhaps was pre-existing. Um, from an earlier infection. And I do remember um, we had lived out upstate in upstate New York, what's uh, by uh, actually in Woodstock, New York. Yes, the Woodstock. And um, I do remember in my mid 50s while there that I did have 
a cold and ended up with pneumonia and, and had very bad bronchitis. It was, un, again, unusual for me, but as far as I knew, that situation had resolved. Um, but the bacterial infection I had, the MAC, my internist explained to me, was pro wasn't picked up probably picked up during my travels, but rather it just exists, this bacteria exists everywhere, in ponds, in well water, and we did have a well up there, in showers, especially shower heads, it, and, and in soil. And the minute she mentioned soil, I thought, yikes, because I had a huge garden <laughs> um, upstate at our house. And we lived there eight years, and so every year I got through the winters because I am definitely not a winter person, but I got through the winters by just dreaming about my garden and what I was going to plant. I didn't have a single vegetable in my garden. I don't want to steer you wrong. It was just about flowers and shrubbery and beauty and colors, and I just look forward so, so, so much to um, plantings every year. So, um, yes, when she said soil, I said to myself, bingo, uh, because I had spread a lot of soil and I had spread a lot of mulch. And this bacteria, I came to know later on, is, is prevalent in mulch because while you're, and can get easily um, into your system, like really through your nose or through your mouth, just because mulch is so fluffy, so to speak, it's airborne, and that dust, that soil dust, then can easily make its way um, into your lungs. Now, it's everywhere, the MAC. Um, so why did I get it? It was unusual. So people who are healthy usually are not in any way affected by MAC. But perhaps because I had had this underlying, I had had this inflammation, infection, I had had pneumonia, perhaps the, bronchi uh, the bronchiectasis was pre-existing. And so the MAC got in there too, and then just created more damaged, more damage to my lungs. Anyhow, so my, my internist then with the CAT scan, sent me um, to a pulmonologist or referred me to a pulmonologist who I met with and um, he uh, ended up doing a test called a bronchoscopy. A bronchoscopy is when they put a scope down your bronchi, which are, you know, the, the br branches of your lungs. And the purpose of this procedure is to just have a look around and see how things things look, but also to take um, some sampling of um, what they find in in your lungs. And in fact, uh, that they did confirm that I did have uh, MAC. That's great information to know how you were diagnosed. What treatments have you tried? Did they help? Did you have any side effects? Yeah, so uh, Samantha, as far as treatments go, um, the doctor did give me uh, what's called an airway clearance device. It's, it's called an aerobica. Um, there are different devices, but he 
had a couple in his office and his nurse met with me and explained to me that the most important thing with bronchiectasis is to make sure that the airways are cleared um, of mucus. Now, she really didn't say much else, but I came to understand later on through my own studies and research that indeed, um, it was very important to make sure your airways were, were clear because if you leave this stuff in your airways, um, it just pools in the damaged areas. And the damaged areas have no cilia. Those are those little hairs that beat and kind of move the stuff up your lungs um, and then out. Uh, but those damaged areas are damaged and they're never going to become undamaged. So basically you had to help those areas along by keeping your airways clear. And one of the ways you can do that is with like these little gizmos. It's not medication, but when you exhale into it, it creates a vibration in your chest. It's like it's a little flutter mechanism. So it vibrates a little bit. And so it opens up the air passages and then allows the mucus to kind of move its way up. Um, so I'm sorry to be discussing mucus. It's really such an unpleasant topic to discuss, but unfortunately, it's the daily reality of people who have bronchiectasis and um, as well as MAC infections. So um, I did use the, the gizmo and I actually was able to clear my airways regularly. And he also had mentioned exercise, which um, I am a health coach, so I was already doing the exercise, but I made sure I um, amped up my game to some, my exercise routine to some degree. And um, I found out, I found over the month or so that my coughing did go, did go away, it lessened greatly. So um, I was supposed to go back to see him in a couple of months. And as my cough went away, I thought, okay, well, I don't need to be using this aerobica anymore and going through this twice a day routine. So I stopped. Um, and then I, when I saw him for my follow-up CAT scan, I was so surprised to see that it actually, my condition actually had gotten a little worse. Um, and then he explained to me, which he hadn't done in advance, that basically this is a lifetime condition and you need to continue to use the aerobica and to exercise daily to get the mucus out. Um, so I felt like I had lost some time not understanding, you know, truly there wasn't, there, there wasn't, he, he was a nice guy. He seemed very compassionate but there wasn't a lot of detailed communication and I'm all about detailed communication. So um, I ended up, oh, one other thing is that based on that CAT scan, that second CAT scan, he was recommending a course of three antibiotics that need to be, to be taken for at least a year and in many cases, 18 months or up to two years to eradicate the MAC, to eradicate the bacteria that was still 
creating inflammation in my lungs and damaging more lung tissue. Now, it's not so terrible to suggest antibiotics. I was never one to take antibiotics often, but I certainly know that, that in certain cases they're essential. However, the idea of taking them for so long and knowing that I had a history of just not feeling well on them, you know, just feeling sort of nauseated and just losing my appetite, I, w I was very concerned. Not only that, Samantha, but in addition, there are side effects, like serious side effects from these particular antibiotics, um, including vision problems, hearing problems, losing hearing as well as ringing in the ears, and just, just a whole long list of, of problems. I think the clincher for me for not wanting to take these three antibiotics is that in 50% of the, of the cases, even after you take these antibiotics, and you will get another MAC infection. It might not be the same MAC uh, bacteria. It might be another bacteria, um, but you will get another infection. So this just didn't make sense to me. I was feeling very well. My cough had stopped. I had lots of energy. Um, often with this condition, people get night sweats. They get regular fevers. I had none of that. So it just didn't make sense to me to go that route yet. And he said he, um, not all of his colleagues are as aggressive as, as he likes to be. And um, acknowledging that, I, I thought to myself, well, I'm in control of the situation and I am going to just wait. And that's what I pretty much told him. Um, however, what I did do is join a support group. Uh, in New York City. And at the time it was in-person support and I attended some meetings. And it was interesting to see that there were about 30 women in this small room that would gather monthly. And they all were thin like me. Um, so it was sort of, the, sort of the body type. And just listening to them, many of them did use aerobica but um, some use what's called an acapella, which again is another similar device. Um, and the other thing is that many of them nebulized saline. So when nebulizing is taking a liquid medication, putting it in a little device, and then converting it into a mist that you then inhale into your lungs. I had not been given this um, device or told by my doctor to nebulize saline. Uh, and it is a prescription, although it's saline, it's salt water, basically, you still do need a prescription because you are inhaling this into your lungs. Um, so sort of feel, feeling empowered by this group of women who had been through a lot. Many of them had not been diagnosed for years and years and years. Um, I was listening to them and I thought to myself, well, it's okay to kind of keep this nebulizing saline in my tool belt for the future, but better yet, why not try, since I really wasn't able to get much mucus up or any with the aerobica, 
um, why not try to nebulize and see if that would help me expectorate? So, you know, in this modern day, I just emailed my doctor through my, the patient portal and I asked him to order the saline for me, which he did. And I purchased the compressor, the nebulizing machine online. And um, I also was very, very lucky to find, I guess you could call her a mentor um, through National Jewish Health in Denver. National Jewish Health in Denver is the hospital to go to with respiratory conditions and especially bronchiectasis and MAC infections. And I was able to connect with a um, patient advocate through that institution who did guide me. She, she taught me how to nebulize and, you know, she was really there for me. She just made such a difference in, in, I think in my emotional state, at first when I was diagnosed, I just felt very distraught. Oh my goodness, I had always been in good health. I thought of myself as a very healthy person, personal trainer, health coach, eating healthy. I mean, you name it. <laughs> I had a healthy lifestyle. Now all of a sudden, you know, to have this condition to deal with, I just felt um, to... It just rocked my boat, rocked my world. But this patient advocate really helped me and helped me feel I, I could get on top of it. I could handle it. Um, so as I was saying that in addition to using the aerobica, I did nebulize um, twice a day. And I used something called postural drainage where I would pretty much, I would lie down and put my... Um, but on a bolster, so I was at an incline with my head lower than my lungs, so that if there was anything inside, that it would drain. And I actually, over time, was able, on a pretty much on a daily basis, to to help um, get get this stuff out. And it, I, it's what I've been doing now for for three years. It's I have not taken any antibiotics. I've not had to. I just do everyday exercise, everyday airway clearance. Um, so that is really what I've done to date. Will I even in the future need to take those antibiotics? Perhaps. Am I hoping that there'll be other treatments? Yes, I am. And it's a very exciting time for bronchiectasis because there are a lot of treatments in the pipeline. Um, both with uh, different antibiotics and just different ways of addressing the the damaged airways airways. So I'm feeling very very hopeful. That's awesome that you're a health coach. It can be really challenging to make the decision to choose to take a medication and suffer with the side effects versus treating the symptoms. Um, what other information would you like to discuss about bronchiectasis? So, Samantha, as far as other things I w would want people to know about my condition, I would say this. With any chronic illness, if you're going to have it for life, you have to build a strong medical team. And at that point, I did not feel I had one. 
when I asked my pulmonologist, who happened to be the head of his department at a major New York system, New York City health system, when I asked him for a referral to a physical therapist so that I could review my airway clearance techniques and make sure I was doing them the best I could, he actually said he it's very specialized and he didn't know of anyone to refer me to. So at that point, I just thought that this was not a good match for me. I just needed to build a strong team. And from going to this support group, I heard one doctor's name mentioned over and over. And so I booked an, I scheduled an appointment with her. She wasn't on my health plan at that point, but I just thought it was so important um, that I went to see her anyways. And she uh, gave me a thorough workup. She did a lot of extra tests that, he, that my first pulmonologist had not done, just looking for any underlying genetic causes um, for the bronchiectasis. Like, why did I get this? Why, because why did I get the bronchiectasis? Why did I get the MAC, I should say, when healthy people don't usually get it? Did I have an underlying genetic reason? Um, did, did I have, for example, cystic fibrosis or primary ciliary dyskinesia or uh, what you wrote about, alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, A1AD? Did I have any of these conditions or was I allergic um, to, to something? So I had a battery of tests. And in the end, nothing really was, was found. That doesn't mean, what was interesting, she said to me, you know, Linda, that doesn't mean you don't have some genetic basis. It's just that we haven't identified it. So that was, that was um, very informative. So after having all those tests and, um, you know, having this doctor, I added doctors or um, alternative medicine practitioners to my team. I mean, I went for everything. I went for swallowing tests to make sure I was swallowing completely so stuff wasn't staying, um, so there wasn't an is issue with aspirating anything into my lungs. So um, not to get into all the details and bo bore your listeners, but I built a team. And I also um, learned to or I should say, also decided to focus on relaxation and just being positive-minded. Because generally speaking, I'm a very optimistic person, but this did throw me. I ha I'm being honest by saying that. Um, but I went back to my meditation practice that I had done off and on since learning to med meditate while in college. Um, I also looked for some energy work. Now, I had gone for acupuncture over the years. And what I found with acupuncture was it did help the issue at the time. Once I went for um, an injured shoulder, I went for some GI problems. I mean, I went for stress when I was going through divorce. I was under a lot of stress. I was getting back aches and headaches. Um, and I did find acupuncture very helpful. But I did find, for me, it didn't last very long. So I really wanted some type of an energy work uh, where I could do it myself. I'm very much into self-care. 
So I ended up finding a practice that really works for me called Jinshin Jitsu. So it's J-I-N, separate word, Shin, S-H-I-N, Jitsu. And I found a practitioner uh, in New York City who would do this energy work on me. Um, and you, you stay clothed and you're on your back. So it's a very comfortable environment. And she would put her hands on me in such a way that uh, would help move my energy or move blockages of energy. And that's what a lot of this work about is about, whether it's Reiki or acupuncture um, or Jinshin Jitsu. It's about moving energy and blockages. And when I would be on the table with her, I would actually feel the mucus kind of bubbling up in the back of my throat. Um, but the one thing I loved about this particular practice was that you could learn to do self-care. Um, I'm very much about self-care and taking control. And in fact, I've written a book on on living on a method of, of living with bronchiectasis through self-care practices. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying I'm dissing uh, traditional medicine. I'm not. It's all about building that strong medical team, in my opinion, my humble opinion, but then adding to it with things that just resonate and work for you. So whether it's meditation or yoga, Pilates, um, what uh, imagery, visual imagery, whatever it is, it's, it's about creating that strong team because as we all know, these conditions um, are chronic and we're, go- we're going to have them for a lifetime. So I feel very strongly that it's important to guide your own ship, to, to be at the helm and to li- have experts advising you, but to try to feel that you have the information and the resources to make well-informed decisions. One of the other areas I focus on with my bronchiectasis and the uh, having an active infection, MAC, is trying to prevent any additional infections. So what that means, because it is in water and we have moved back to New York City, so now um, we're in New York City and living in a, an apartment and we have city water and the city water has a lot of MAC in it and lots of times it kind of hangs out in the pipes and um, in your shower head. In fact, I mentioned well water before, but well water is less likely to have bacteria than city water. So I try to take precautions. I switch out my shower heads monthly. Um, I actually take very short showers now, uh, just not to have the exposure, not to create a lot of steam in the bathroom and have and get additional infections. I mean, if you're living in a house, I feel like it's a lot easier because you most probably have a window in your bathroom. Whereas in New York City, in our small New York City one-bedroom apartment, we don't have a window in the bathroom. So I do have to take those precautions. Furthermore, um, when with the MAC infection, you have to be careful of water, drinking water. So rather than drink from the tap, uh, from the city water, 
I often will boil water for 10 minutes to kill the bacteria or I drink spring water. So these are lots of precautions I have to take to prevent any um, exacerbation of my condition. Also, just sterilizing my equipment. I mentioned nebulizing, I mentioned the aerobica. Um, all this equipment has to be boiled and sterilized. And so it's there's a daily presence of this in my life. It's, it's hard to just push it aside. Um, I, if something comes up where I'm not able to exercise and I'm not able to do a good job in clearing my lungs, for example, if I go to Connecticut to visit my daughters and I stay overnight, I just don't do a good job with exercise and, and airway clearance. So I do start to feel a little congested over after a day or so, and I can even develop a little temperature in the afternoon. So I just have to be, uh, I guess the way to describe it best, Samantha, would to, be, would to say I have to be on my game. I have to be thankful that I feel so well with this condition because many, many women, I say women because it's mostly women, but certainly there are men too. So many, many people don't feel well. Their, their condition is um, more severe. So if I do all of this self-care um, and take the precautions of preventing any further infection, uh, these, are, these are things that I um, are, have to be committed to, committed to do on a daily basis, whether, whether I like to or not. And that's what I would want to share with listeners who have bronchiectasis and perhaps MAC, that many people do think that the antibiotics are the only way to go. And certainly, if that time comes in in my life, I will look at that closely again. But it feels wonderful to be able to take control and to know that I can keep myself feeling well as long as I am hypervigilant and diligent about doing what I need to do on a, on a daily basis to um, keep my airways clear. I'm really glad you mentioned that. It is really important that we feel like our medical team is listening to us, that we feel like they have the information we need and know that it's okay to change doctors when we need to. Do you have other illnesses? If so, would you like to mention them? You ask what other illnesses I might have. I have had irritable bowel syndrome for 50 years, and I've always managed it um, pretty well. And it's interesting that a lot of people with lung conditions do have different issues with, with uh, different GI issues, including you know, Crohn's disease and, and colitis. So again, a lot of the, the things that help me with my bronchiectasis also help with the irritable bowel, including different breathing practices and exercise and uh, learning or spending more time just relaxing, trying to rest a little bit during the day. And you know what? Also laughing. I mean, it's good to be, have a positive attitude and a good spirit. And so I try to find 
ways to laugh throughout the day and just be thankful uh, and and grateful for, for my overall feeling, my general feeling, I should say, of well-being. Um, I think it's important to find support. So that means support certainly from your family uh, to share with them what, you, what you're dealing with on a daily basis so they really understand your condition and they can support you. Don't be afraid of support. But, you know, with that said, I try not to burden my family um, with all the, <laughs> the details of my illness because I'm a lot more than my illness. I strongly believe in people-first language and thinking. So I'm a person who has bronchiectasis. I'm a person, I'm Linda Esposito who has MAC, but I don't view myself as a MAC patient or a bronchiectasis patient. Um, and so I, I embrace that. I, I think it's important to be creative, to look for other ways of expressing myself and not just thinking about my condition day in and day out. Sometimes in, ad in addition to caring for yourself, you have to learn to just let go, just to relax and just to, just to clear your headspace. So I, f I feel very, very uh, strong about that. So certainly family and friends and support groups are great, in-person support groups. You know, sometimes people are very, very sick their disease is more progressed and going to these support groups can be a little frightening. So you have to know yourself. So I'm not saying that they're for everyone. And I do believe that is true online as well. Um, often in the bronchiectasis support groups and the MAC support groups, you know, there can be some unhappy situations and stories. And so you have to know how you deal with that. If you're going to internalize it, and that's going to make you feel unwell or frightened, you know, then I say, perhaps, you know, just be aware of that and be very, very cautious about it. If you can control it, if you can go on support groups and, and kind of gloss over the situations that just seem that they don't apply to you, but, but at the same time to glean important information for your own uh, care, then I say, you know, go for it. Just, just monitor yourself so that you don't end up um, getting depressed by others, others and, their, and, their, and their health status. Yeah, that's all really important and great advice. How can listeners connect with you? I do have social media. Um, because I have written a book, I have developed a social media platform. My book won't be out until next year, but you can certainly follow me on social media. I have an Instagram account. It's instagram.com forward slash be clear with bronchiectasis. So that's, that's a long one, but be clear with bronchiectasis. And I'll spell it, although I'm sure you'll, you can easily go online and Google it. But bronchiectasis is B-R-O-N-C-H-I-E-C-T-A-S-I-S. 
So that's my Instagram account. And I do post daily and I try to make it fun and colorful um, and informative. Also, I have a Facebook account. It's uh, facebook.com forward slash be clear today. That's a nice, easy one. Facebook.com forward slash be clear today. And um, my Twitter handle, I forgot to mention Twitter um, handle is uh, be clear today. So um, this is a lot about bronchiectasis. And um, I guess my hope is that for people who are unaware of it just to know about it, uh, I'd like to add that there are, as I mentioned, there are genetic factors. And so if you do have cystic fibrosis or another one of the diseases that often bronchiectasis is not picked up and people think and 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 the med medical uh, people as well think that the condition is due just to that particular medical condition that uh, cystic fibrosis but there also might be scarring of the lungs bronchiectasis so bronchiectasis although it's considered a rare disease it is being diagnosed more and more because there is more physician awareness to look for uh, the dilated airway passages and look for the bronchiectasis and also the use of um, CT scans uh, has made a huge difference because bronchiectasis is not easily picked up on x-rays. That's all really helpful information. Congratulations on your book. I will include all of your social media information in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking time to be a guest on the Chronic Illness Support Podcast to talk about bronchiectasis to help provide education and awareness. I enjoyed having you, Linda. Thank you, Samantha. Thank you, listeners. Thank you for this opportunity to talk. Hopefully, I didn't talk too much, but to talk about bronchiectasis. And I wish you all well. Take care. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Thank you. If you found listening to the Chronic Illness Support Podcast helpful in any way, please subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much for listening. <music>